our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those that trespass against us. Yes, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, the power and the glory, and ever and ever and amen. 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 It means that you're talking to God. It's talking to God. God wants to know what's happening with us. He's concerned. To pray to God. It means I get to talk to God for a minute or two. To talk to Jesus. It means like you're talking to God and God can hear you. And he wants to know how we're doing. To thank God. To thank God. I pray for my friend when he was sick. My house. Our family. I thank God for the blessings and all the food and water. Sometimes if I'm struggling, I ask him to help me. For loving people. My pets. And toys and food. Like what we eat and how God blessed us with clothes. Love. Don't go to the principal office. Um. Pretty much everything. <laughs> Well, my mom usually gets better if I, I'm praying. I don't know. Saying amen afterwards. He listens, then he does. I prayed for my dog to be healed, and he healed. So. He, like, shows it in what we do. Ice cream. He listens to us. That's all. Anytime you ask children to explain something spiritual, you're always in for, always in for a treat. And I think um, they help us understand something about prayer. Well, for the last uh, month, all of this month, we've been emphasizing prayer. Uh, the deacon-sponsored uh, prayer uh, ministry in each worship hour meets downstairs in the prayer room. And anybody is welcome to join in on that. The Wednesday night uh, prayer group at 6 o'clock over in uh, the Platt building. Uh, those are those are meaningful times of prayer, and I appreciate all these who lead in that effort, and uh, these who shared their their comments and testimonies about that experience. And so, prayer is important. We know that prayer is important to the life of the church, to the kingdom of God, to all that we want to do for the glory of God. Prayer is important. And last week we looked at prayer. We looked at a, a story that Jesus told in Luke 18 about the unjust judge uh, and the harassed widow. And we're not sure exactly what uh, she was being harassed about, but she. Uh, insistently went back to the judge and, and Jesus told us that God is not like this uh, unjust judge, but God loves to hear prayers from his children. He delights in hearing from his children and answering their prayers. And so we were also encouraged in that, that we should pray and pray with faith and not give up. Now today I want us to take that concept and that thought about this prayer life and the challenge to pray and not give up knowing that God delights in answering our prayers and take it to another level uh, as uh, we're challenged to pray uh, <clears throat> with a specific purpose uh, around us as we pray. But before we get to that out of the Scripture in Colossians 4, let's uh, just do a deal with some uh, facts about prayer. What is it that people really pray about in this country? Well, according to pollster George Bar- Barna, almost 90% of Americans say that they pray. Now, this one surprised me. Over 60% of unchurched Americans say that they pray. 
And of those unchurched Americans, one in three, I believe that prayer makes a difference in their lives. Now, among born-again believers, those of us who profess to be born-again believers in Jesus Christ and of the church, nearly 70% say that God personally answers their prayers. So what do we pray about? Barner also helped with these uh, insights. 95% of us express gratitude in some form in our prayers. 76% ask God to forgive particular sins. Uh, 61% make specific requests to God. And that's a, those are important figures to understand and look at as we, uh, as we continue to move through this talking about prayer. An article in USA Today fairly recently said that one of the major things that people are concerned about and praying about right now is about the economic uh, crisis, the economic turndown. They're praying about jobs and about finances. So with that background, let me ask you a simple question then. And that is, how is your prayer life? You know, how's your prayer life? Well, I can imagine that your answer would be, it depends. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not so good. Prayer can be easy or it can be difficult, depending on a lot of different factors. I think we've all experienced that. Sometimes our, our prayers seem like they just take us right into the very presence of the throne of, of grace, into the presence of God. And sometimes it seems like there's a glass ceiling that our prayers just bounce off of and they come back to us and no way that's going to get through to God and no way God is going to be able to answer it because they just continue to come back to us. But we're challenged and we're encouraged in over 1,400 verses in the Bible about prayer. And if you really want to grow spiritually and develop in your spiritual life, you've got to learn to pray effectively because there's no shortcut to spiritual growth. So why do we pray? Let me give you some reasons. Number one, prayer makes a difference. It always does. Prayer brings about wisdom into our life. We're praying to God who spoke the world into creation and he knows all things. Our prayer provides strength for us in difficult times. Prayer convicts us of areas in our life that need changing. And prayer brings us the assurance of our position in the Father. What does that mean? That means that we are loved, we're accepted, we're forgiven, and we are in a genuine relationship with God the Father. I think up here, mentally we all would agree to that and we say, yeah, I know all those things. I know prayer works. I know prayer changes things. I know prayer changes circumstances. I've seen it work. I know it's worked in my life. Prayer is one method that will help us change the world. But maybe we've become too busy, too occupied with other things, maybe even too self-reliant to have a prayer life like we should have. Uh, several years ago, uh, D.A. Carson, a New Testament professor at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Deerfield, Illinois, wrote a book entitled, A Call to Spiritual Reformation. And in one chapter, he discusses six excuses that we all make at some time for not praying. I think this kind of summarizes all the things that we use as excuses put together into these six. Number one, I'm too busy to pray. If you're too busy to pray, you're too busy, period. I feel too spiritually dry to pray. You know, if you ever need to pray, it's when you're spiritually dry. I'm too bitter to pray. Maybe there's something going on. Yeah? You felt like you haven't heard from God. God hasn't answered this. You've got to build a relationship with somebody else. That's not being resolved. Or you say, I feel no need to pray. Some people say, I'm too ashamed to pray. And then this maybe is the summation of where we are today. 
is that I am simply content with mediocrity. That might be the bottom line for all of us in our church life, in our spiritual life, in our prayer life everywhere. So what does Paul, the apostle, say to us who wrote the scripture for today in the book of Colossians as he wrote to these believers in Colossia near the end of his book of instructions, his letter to them about focused prayer? Well, he's talking about some specific things, that challenges that he's going to be facing, and he's asking them to pray in specific ways. I want us to take this and think about the challenges before us. Now, we're going to be unfolding the, the budget before too long. There's some other plans that we have in the process that need to come to fruition. There are going to be some challenges for us. We've got opportunities for ministry out in the community, and we need to be doing that. So here's some prayer, here's some prayer thoughts for us about this focused prayer, a focused prayer challenge. Colossians 4, 2 through 4. The Apostle Paul writes and says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, as Paul asking for that in his ministry team, that God may open the door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Now that's Paul's request for prayer. And it's focused. It's pretty intent and focused. When we look at these words of Scripture, what we find is that in verse 2, Paul answers the question, how should we pray? And then in in verses 3 through 4, he answers the question, what should we pray about? So let's look at these. First of all, uh, how should we pray? And the bottom line answer to that is Paul says we should pray effectively. And then Paul gives us three guidelines for praying effectively. First he says, be devoted to prayer. It simply says, devote yourselves to prayer. Now, this is the time of the year for some sports fanatics that your devotion to your team really shows through. You got uh, professional baseball coming to an end of their regular season, getting ready for the division championships, including the wild cards, and getting ready to move into the World Series. You got uh, pro football kicked off, I think, last week, and so since second, second or third week. And you got pro football Sunday afternoon, Sunday night. You got some Monday night games. You got Thursday night games. You love NFL football? You got it right there. And then college football. From now until the, the playoffs and crowning a national champion. And you know, the thing about fans is they just, you know, you watch a game, and if you're not one of them dressed up and painting your face and all of that, you know, just watch them who are fans. And they are so devoted to those causes. You know, if we would be as devoted to our Christian faith and to prayer as we are to some other things in life, uh, we would be pretty devoted and we would be in good shape. But we have to be reminded over and over and over uh, that we need to be devoted to prayer. Last week we looked at what Jesus said, that he taught them that parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and never lose heart. And Paul would write to the Thessalonians and say, pray without ceasing. That means that we should always live in an attitude and atmosphere about prayer, and we should never give up on prayer. Be ready to pray at a moment's notice. You see, it's in those times when we want to give up on prayer that we need to pray the most. So he says, you know, be, be, watch, be, well, be diligent in your prayer. And secondly, he says, be watchful in prayer. Uh, the word watchful there literally means to stay awake. It's the opposite of sleepiness or laziness or indifference. 
And what Paul is, I think, stressing is that if we're watchful in prayer, then we are avoiding some distractions that could take our mind and our thought away from the intent of the prayer. James 5.16 speaks about the effective, fervent prayers of the righteous avail much with God. And so we want our prayers to be fervent. We don't want them, we don't want them to be hindered in any way. We want to make sure that we, we don't slip into laziness or sleepiness or distraction when we pray. The Greek word for fervent literally means boiling or boiling over. And what is a boiling over prayer like? Well, it's a, that gut-wrenching prayer with tears and agony the last time that you prayed through a crisis. See, prayer prays with total concentration when it's effective prayer, when it's a gut-wrenching, boiling over prayer. And uh, some of this concept about um, prayer, talking about here being watchful in prayer, uh, is interesting. might raise the question this way. If God is up in heaven, why do we have to close our eyes and bow our heads to pray? Have you ever asked that question? Your children ever ask you that question? You ever thought about that? Why do we close our eyes when we pray? And why do we have it around the table? Uh, when I told this story in the first service, of course, uh, other people leaving after that service were able to tell me different stories that they had either in their family or in the classroom or whatever. But um, little three-year-old Hannah came home from, from school, Sunday school, and uh, as always, Mom said, well, well what did y'all do in your Sunday school class today? And she said, well, we had a strange man in there. My mother kind of panicked for a moment. She said, well, what was strange about him? She said, well, he had all of us to bow our heads, close our eyes, hold hands, and pray. But he didn't close his eyes. And so the mother asked the obvious question, and that is, how do you know he didn't close his eyes? And Hannah said, I only close one eye when I pray. <laughs> Landry Nell is our what? Next to your youngest grandchild? She'll be two in December. And when she's with us for mealtime... You know, the question is always, you want to pray? Let's pray to God, and she'll stretch her hands out to hold her daddy's hand and her mama's hand, and then we pray. And I've often looked up, I've sneaked a look, and, and she would be looking at us with her eyes open. And I'd always kid her and say, Landronelle, you didn't close your eyes during the prayer. So that brought up the discussion at our table in our household. Does the Bible say anything about closing your eyes for prayer? Uh, and, you know, what is the posture for prayer? What are we supposed to do? Uh, for prayer. Well, I just did a simple search. I typed in the question about, you know, what does the Bible say about praying with eyes closed? There's no spirit, no, no specific spiritual or scriptural reference to that at all. Uh, I think, though, it is an act of concentration that we try to block out all the distractions. And you know, if you're trying to have a quiet time, that's when it seems like the phone's going to ring or somebody's going to want your attention. There have been so many times I needed that quiet time and been in prayer and my phone will ring or somebody comes and knocks the door, the doorbell rings and all that. And I'm thinking, God, I'm trying to have this time with you. Why are you letting these distractions come, in, come into my life? Well, you have to learn to deal with those. But the Bible points out a lot of different postures that are used for praying, so all the way from Old Testament and New Testament. Some people stand with their uh, with their pictures standing with their arms open, their eyes open, and they're praying to God. Some are seen kneeling. Some are bowing. Some are laid out, prostrate, flat on their face, praying out to God. You know, I, so I don't think it really matters what your posture is. Now, if you have a pattern and you've taught your children and you use it yourself to close your eyes in prayer, that's good. That's okay. One of the guys on one of the websites that answered the question I asked simply said, I keep my eyes open when I pray to keep from falling asleep. 
And I thought, well, that's a pretty good thing to do. If, you know, if that's a struggle for you to stay awake while you're praying, you might want to pray with your eyes open, especially if you're praying while you're driving. Don't close your eyes. That's a special time for that. See, the, the thing that Paul is saying is being watchful in prayer is, is don't be distracted so that you can stay alert and focused as you offer up your prayers. So you do that the best way uh, that it suits you. And then the third thing he says to pray effectively is, he says, be thankful in prayer. He says, being watchful and thankful. Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the Bible called The Message says this, stay alert with your eyes wide open in gratitude. Even there, he's talking about having your eyes wide open and to do it with gratitude. See, let me ask you a question. Have you, have you ever responded to an invitation to birthday or wedding or graduation or anniversary or something of that nature to which you were invited for something and you gave a gift and you never got any kind of thank you note or acknowledgement about it? I think probably most of us have. So what do you do next time some, that same person perhaps might send you an invitation? Are you as ready to give a gift because you think, well, you know, I gave one last time and they must not have liked it or didn't appreciate it or what because I never got any, never got any acknowledgement of that. So let me ask you a question. If you aren't thankful for the blessings that God has given you in your life, why would God want to give you anything else? That's why Paul says in your prayer life, be grateful, be thankful, give praise and thanks to God for for the things that He has already given to you. Stay alert with your eyes wide open in gratitude. I don't know if this will work for you or not, but this is something that I implement in my life that uh, I've got regular quiet time that I have, and then it spreads out two or three times during the day. Uh, But to develop this concept of gratitude and and thanking God for all that He does and all that He has for us, here here are four things I suggest you might can weave into your day. You know, when I wake up in the morning, before I even uh, get out of bed, I just lie down and I thank God for the gift of that day, and I want to commit to Him everything that's going to be on my day. You know, I've usually got my day plan, appointments, all these kinds of things. Uh, but I, I want to commit to God that day. And I do that before I get out of bed. Secondly, during the day, when you're tempted to lose your temper, don't count to ten, count your blessings. Stop and count your blessings. That's a better thing to do than counting to ten. Then third, when those interruptions come, Thank God for those interruptions because those could very well be divine appointments that God has brought to you. You remember the life of Jesus? He would constantly interrupt it. He'd be on the way to do one thing and somebody else would come and interrupt him because they had another need. So you got to deal with those and thank God even for those. And then the fourth thing I do is at night uh, I want to crawl into bed. I just lie there for a few moments and I reflect upon the day. And I thank God for His presence and power in my life. If there were interruptions that were divine appointments, and He intervened in a special way, of course, I thank Him for that. And you know, sometimes I I, I fall asleep that way, uh, reflecting upon that day and praying. And you know what? I felt guilty for that for a long time until I read something Peter Lord said about prayer. And he talked about what better way for a child of God to go to sleep than to be praying and talking to God the Father. It's like falling asleep in your Father's arms. And I thought, you know, that's a pretty good thing, isn't it, to be able to do that as a child of God. So there we have it, to pray effectively. He says, be devoted in prayer, be watchful in prayer, and be thankful. Now he tells us uh, some things about what we should pray. 
And he puts it in the context of his ministry before him. And I want us to put it in the context for us, our ministry, okay? We should pray purposefully. And again, here are three specific things that Paul mentions. First of all, he says, pray for opportunities for ministry. He says, pray that God may open a door for our message. In in the Greek concept, whenever that door is used, it literally means a door for the Word. So Paul was looking at ministry opportunities that were out there before him. And he said, pray that I would have opportunities to go and to preach the message. In the New Testament, an open door is always talking about a a reference to uh, a, a, a spiritual opportunity to be involved in ministry. And I believe that God wants us to be involved in ministry in our community more than we are. I think that's what we're supposed to be doing as a church. He wants us to do more than open our doors on Sunday and Wednesday. We gather for worship and Bible study. But more than that, we need to go out and be spread in the community. We don't just gather, but we go scatter. There are places in the community we need to penetrate with the gospel because lives are at peril. And we have some opportunities that have opened for us. Allison Horton is leading through our children's ministry, uh, Good News Clubs, at two elementary schools this fall in, in the afternoons. And about 28 volunteers have agreed to work and, and train for that at Pontiac and Bookman Elementary. Uh, last year we had a great success over at Pontiac, and um, uh, it's an exciting time. And it's an exciting time always when you get to get in a school and these kids volunteer with their parents to stay late and hear about God. There's an opportunity in the work to go to Blaney Elementary and do the same thing. We also are involved in that at Round Top, but we're working with another church in that particular ministry venture. So pray for opportunities like that for us. Uh, Ryan and Mary Joy and our student ministry are making a commitment to be in schools, middle schools and high schools, and connect with the students and their friends. We got Jason Castro coming up in concert October 15th, and then uh, he'll be here to sing in both worship hours on uh, the following day, October 16th. And we're calling that Fran Day. We've put notices in your Sunday school classes about here's some invitations. Invite friends to come and be a part of that on Fran Day. What's Fran stand for? Friends, relatives, acquaintances, and neighbors. Not nuisances, but neighbors, okay? You know, anybody you know who needs to hear the Word of God. Uh, we've got a men's event coming up in November, men's barbecue meal and, and uh, wild game tasting. And we've got uh, a committed uh, outdoors uh, Christian, uh, Brent Henderson, who's going to come and speak. Wonderful opportunity for dads to come and bring their sons or for a man to bring a young man from a family where there's not a father's influence there. That's a great, that would be a great ministry to do. But it's also a wonderful opportunity in a non-threatening environment to invite somebody who is not a believer to come with you that night. They'll hear the gospel in a non-threatening environment. Our women have ministry opportunities all the time through the many things that they do, especially coming up now is a, a dinner in the valley. Make it more than just a time to come and greet with people you know and enjoy a good meal and time of fellowship and hear a good speaker and some music. Use that as an opportunity to invite another woman to come with you who's not churched or who is lost you know, and bring them with you. So we have these opportunities that we need to pray about and we need to take advantage of in the community. And secondly, pray, he says, that we will proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. Paul says that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. You see, back then, the message of Christianity was early to the church, and it was totally, radically transforming, totally, radically different than the way they had always heard about relationships with God. And so Paul had to make it clear as he could. We face a different issue today. 
And that is the church and believers in the church have sent out so many different mixed signals about what the gospel really is. It's not just cleaning up your life. It's not just coming to church. But it's allowing Jesus Christ who rose from the dead through the power of God to radically transform your life. See, that's the message that we have to proclaim. No other organization has that but the church, people of God. See, we need to make sure that we present the message, the gospel message, as clearly as it can be presented. That's the heart of our message. Jesus Christ has the power to change your life. And there's the third thing that we're to pray for purposefully. And that is pray that obstacles will not stop our witness. Anytime you want to go and do something for God, you know that. You say, all right, I'm going to begin to tithe. And right as you would do that, you've got a car repair that's coming up major, a house repair, or something else comes up that's a, a major expense, and you're thinking, oh, man, how, how did, you know, all those things are going to challenge your faith. We could come up with a great, elaborate ministry plan about things that need to do and that we want to do. And when we start to doing that, we're going to have opposition to that, sometimes inside the church as well as outside the church. And we've got to realize that, and we've got to move on and carry on. Well, if Paul had given up at every obstacle he faced, we wouldn't have much of the New Testament. We wouldn't have his great record. Churches wouldn't have been planted through the world as he knew it then. Paul's own autobiography says, I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. You know, it seemed like everybody was against him, doesn't it? And he says, I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily pressure for my concern of all the churches. Now, how far down that list of opposition and persecution would you have stood it? You know, probably after the first one, you'd say, I'm checking out of here. I'm checking out. You know, opposition is always going to be there against the church of God and God's people. And you have to move on through it. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean it's nice. Doesn't mean it's going to cost something. But you have to move through it and do it. That's what Paul prays for. All right, let's close this off today by saying this. We're called to pray. And we're called to pray with a focus. We're called to pray effectively. And we're called to pray specifically for the ministry of our church, praying that we have opportunities to share the gospel, open doors, and praying that we go through those open doors prepared to minister, and praying that we will overcome the obstacles and we won't give up. Let's pray like that. Father, thank you for the wonderful privilege of prayer that we can come and, and offer ourselves up to you in conversation with you, the the one true God, the holy God, our Father who loves to give good gifts to his children. Thank you, Father, for answering our prayers and hearing our prayers, responding to our prayers. Father, help us to become people of faith and people of prayer that we would pray and never give up and that we would pray effectively and that we would pray purposely 
for the ministry of this, our church at Spring Valley, and for your kingdom. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.